Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to this week's Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. Michael Massey is no longer Formula One's race director. He was stood down from the role by the FIA as part of an overhaul of the officiating process. Eduardo Freitas and Niels Wittich will share race director duties this season. Fabian Coulthard has landed a plum Bathurst 1000 drive with Walkinshaw Andretti United, where he will partner either Chas Mostert or Nick Perkat. Warren Luff has unsurprisingly been retained by WAU. There's been a whirlwind of supercars delivery launches in recent days, headlined by some snazzy-looking cars at the new Premier Racing Squad. They've got Subway and Coca-Cola backing on the doors for at least the first couple of rounds. Supercars preseason testing continues at Winton today, but the Gen 3 cars aren't joining the current hardware as originally planned. Supercars is set to open a Melbourne office, which will operate alongside the Gold Coast and Sydney offices that are already in existence. Plans to ban anti-roll bar adjusters inside the Gen 3 cars have officially been scrapped. Tim Blanchard Racing has switched from Tickford Motors to Herod Motors for the upcoming season. Scott Pye won't race a DeWalt car this season. There's a new backer on the way for the Team 18 driver, or at least the team will be hoping so. Ange Mazuris will combine Super 2 and Carrera Cup duties this season. Uh, for his Super 2 program, he's left Triple Eight and joined MW Motorsport to drive one of their Nissans. And TCR race winner Jay Hansen is on his way into the supercar system with a deal to race in Super 2 with Image Racing as part of the Erebus Academy. Now, joining me to discuss all that and much more as a co-driver that I would let have first pick between Fabs and Luffy, Stefan Bartholomeus. Now, Stefan, you're broadcasting from the fine state of South Australia today. Has Big Pete Malinowskis showed up at your door wearing a Save the Adelaide 500 driving suit or something like that? <laughs> well, he hasn't done that, Andrew, but I do feel like I've seen a lot of him driving around Adelaide in the last couple of days. Every one of Adelaide's beautiful Stobie poles is desecrated with the faces of these bloody politicians uh, leading up to a state election. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, okay. So um, for everyone who's not from South Australia, what is a Stobie pole? You've, you've never heard of the great James Cyril Stobie? who invented the Stobie pole, this steel and concrete concoction that keeps our power lines high above the ground. That's uh, Wow, so it's a power pole. It is, but at the moment it's just uh, old-school guerrilla marketing for these political parties who, uh, yeah, in the age of this, uh, you know, digital marketing and big tech, I just find it amazing that we've still got our political parties out there cable tying cardboard to power poles, but uh, this is not about car racing and there's plenty of that to talk about, so let's move on. 
but we do live in the car racing world. Like, obviously, this Adelaide 500 thing as a campaigning platform is sort of big in our world and it's what we're all talking about. But when you're just wandering around the streets of Adelaide, is it as big a sort of cornerstone to the Labor campaign as it feels like it is when you're looking through the motor racing lens? Well, I can't say I've vox popped any punters uh, for their views on it, but no, I think there's there's bigger issues in terms of health and and ramping of ambulance services and all of that that's uh, really the, the cornerstones of what they're going to be pushing politically. So uh, it's definitely part of their mix of policies, but it's not uh, it's not on pole position. Mm, things bigger than motor racing. <laughs> Don't understand that at all. Anyway, I touched on it in my little intro there, but I think it's um, genuinely worth discussing this point. If you're either Chas Most or Nick Perkett, who do you want as your Bathurst co-driver when you've got Fabian Coulthard or Warren Love to choose from? Stefan, if you're one of those WAU primary drivers, who are you taking? I wouldn't be too upset either way, to be quite honest. I mean, Luffy's done such a good mm. job over a long period of time and he certainly hasn't slowed down these last couple of years. But I think um, I'd still go with Fabian. I mean, the recent history of drivers coming out of full-time Supercars driving and then being top co-drivers is is pretty strong, like we saw with Lee Holdsworth last year. So, basically, having two primary drivers in that situation is a decent advantage. It is, it is, and like, yeah, you're right. Fabs should have it on outright pace, but Luffy's just drawn to that podium at Bathurst. He can't help himself. He's like, um, it draws him in like the coffee satchels in a hotel room draw you in, Stefan. <laughs> um, and for context, we've travelled together a lot and know way, way too much about each other. But, um, yeah, just Luffy at Bathurst. I don't know. There's something something magical about it. All right, let's crack on with the biggest news of the week. Michael Massey, former Supercars colleague of ours, um, friend of ours, friend of a lot of people in the Supercars paddock, um, he's no longer the Formula One race director. He was moved aside as part of a wider restructure of the refereeing system, which is in Formula One, which is kind of being referred to as now. Eduardo Freitas from the World Endurance Championship and former DTM man Niels Wittich will share the race director role, supported by officiating legend Herbie Blash in a senior advisor role. Uh, radio communications to race control will no longer be part of the broadcast, and there will be a remote. VAR-style review system likely to be based in Geneva. Stefan, let's go through this kind of one point at a time because there's a fair bit to unpack. Let's start with the big-ticket item. Uh, Michael Massey out of the race director role. What's your take on that? Well, to me, it feels like he's been thrown under the bus, really. I mean, you you rattled through there the raft of changes, which also includes the introduction of that virtual control room and and the direct radio communications uh, from the teams to the race director being stopped. And, I mean, to me, that shows that Massey wasn't being fully supported with the technology that's available and he was being put under undue pressure by teams while trying to make decisions. So if the system around him wasn't good enough, why also get rid of him? I think, to me, it feels like a gutless decision from the FIA not to back their man in that situation. It smacks of either outside pressure being applied or simply that new FIA president wanting to make a statement and and make changes immediately. It also, to me, just creates an even more uncomfortable feeling about what happened in last year's finale. Um, The statement didn't specifically state that Massey uh, had done anything wrong in Abu Dhabi. It's only really implied, but it still creates an even bigger question mark over the result if this is the outcome from it. Yeah, uh, like I, I totally agree that, you know, sort of changing 
changing the referee and changing the system at the same time. Like you could do one or two of those things. Say, well, look, our system works and, you know, an individual made a mistake or say there's an issue with the system and we can improve it and let that individual try and work with that system and see if we can get a better outcome. You know, they would both, they would both, you know, to me that they could, you would take one of those paths, not both paths. But what I will say, like, I totally agree that just the, Michael Massey has been very, very hard done by here, and I think it's it's very fair to be disappointed at the lack of support that he has got through the from the FIA through the whole process. Um, I think it's also important to point out that like there's been this sense of like outrage from people involved in motorsport at Australia that is different from what I'm seeing from people elsewhere in the world, and and you know his nationality shouldn't form part of this discussion i look at aussie motorsport twitter and i just see all these hurt feelings sort of rather than insightful discussion about the fact that this australian has been dealt this 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 brutal card of being turfed out of the role which it's not entirely unfair but you sort of don't necessarily see it from anywhere else and you don't even actually see it from formula one like there's been a little bit of support from 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 christian horner um for massey but Generally speaking, what's kind of interesting to me is the fact that there hasn't been, if this was all planned just to appease Mercedes, where is the outrage from the rest of the Formula One paddock or from, you know, journalists and commentators around the world outside of Australia about what has gone on here? To me, that sort of, you know, for whatever reason, there was something not quite working with him in that role. Otherwise, if it was just done to appease Mercedes, which I actually think is complete nonsense, then there would be, you know, if if one supercars team got a race got the race director kicked out, if Triple Eight went and got Tim Schenken kicked out of his role two years ago, everyone else would have been furious. But we're not really seeing that, which I don't know. To me that's that that says something about this. I've said in the past, and we'll say again, I was uneasy with how the Abu Dhabi thing played out. I don't believe the right decision was made, and I think if you take the Aussie lens away from it, outside of the Red Bull camp, there didn't seem to be many people in Formula One that were comfortable with with exactly what happened. At the same time, I don't think this is necessarily a uh, – it's not all about Abu Dhabi either. There were other instances over the past couple of seasons where there were teams questioning race control. Um, and I think it's important to remember that like Michael Massey, a, lot, a dedicated, hardworking, ridiculously talented race official, he was sort of thrust into this role in the most unfortunate and unexpected circumstances. So like he was kind of on the back foot in terms of, you know, where he sat in terms of, you know, his relationship with the teams and everything from the very beginning. Um, yeah, it's it's just a it's just a tough one. I think you touched on it before. Like it doesn't like did, he didn't purposely try and influence the outcome of the world championship. He was clearly put under too much pressure from the teams. He was clearly not supported by the F by the FIA as much as he should have been. But I kind of at the same time you touched on the fact we have you know a new FIA president. I can kind of just feel that if you were the new FIA president, you'd go, why would I adopt this raging tear up that started under someone else's watch when I can just start fresh? Yeah, but I, I just don't think that's the right way to treat your people as the FIA. I mean, Michael's clearly a very competent motorsport administrator and they've admitted oh, that no the question. tools weren't there to support him. And that does go, I think, before Abu Dhabi. Like you were saying, it's not completely an isolated 
um, issue that there were some grumblings about about Michael's handling of the driving standards and consistency on all that stuff prior to Abu Dhabi. But I don't see how having two race directors, like switching between them during the season, is actually going to fix that situation. I think they yeah. needed to... Well, it could make it a lot worse. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think you'll ever, like, um, you'll never have everyone, competitors and fans, um, praising the umpire, will you? I no. just feel that they've they've not supported their man when they really should have. And just cha- a change of management doesn't mean that the broom has to go to come out, I don't think. No, I get that. But I think in such a high-profile instance, I can sort of understand why a new president would say, let's just start again. Let's just start again with the whole thing. Let's rebuild it from the bottom up. As I said before, I totally take the point that you don't need to do both. You can either say the system's broken, let's fix it and give this guy a chance, which is what they probably should have done. All I'm saying is that I can understand, if you take the Aussie lens away from it and all that sort of stuff, I can understand that that would seem like a pretty logical decision to reach. And I think the fact that there hasn't been this outrage from the Formula One paddock is that it was sort of just seen as a, as a, it was an inevitable outcome. You know, it was his position was going to be untenable at the end of last season, not just because of the last race, but because of, as you touched on, a few other issues throughout the season. I don't think anyone was sitting there expecting it to continue as it was, particularly with a new president coming and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, I yeah. And look, at the end of the day, like, okay, so did Mercedes dummy spit play some role in it? Maybe, but to sit there and say that if the exact situation was reversed, that there wouldn't have been an equally epic dummy spit from the other side of the equation, you know, that's, you're dreaming, you know. We would have had Dietrich Matisic saying, well, I'm going to pull my cash out of Formula 1 and take my two teams home, you know. He would would never do that, (laughs) not at least more than twice a (laughs) season anyway. Yeah, exactly. This is the this is the politicking that happens. Ferrari threatens to pull out every time there's some sort of change made to the Concord Agreement. Like this is just it's that that's normal, you know. And the systems should be in robust enough to to deal with those threats and understand that it's never going to happen anyway. Um, so to me, this is more about a new FIA president saying, "Let's just start again with everything," you know, and. It's not a perfect decision, but I don't know that there is any sort of perfect decision. Anyway, it's a it's a very tough one. I'll tell you that it's there's there's I don't I don't think there's really a perfect uh, outcome. Let's have a look at some of you know the the questions about this new refereeing arrangement. Um, two race directors. You touched on it before. Like I I don't get how that helps consistency. I don't see how having two blokes doing it is actually going to solve what one of the major gripes from the teams has been over the last couple of seasons. No, absolutely not. And, I mean, one of the other things they went hard on is this uh, this VAR, this video review system. And you're a, you're a soccer man, so I'm, I'm keen on your your view on this. Isn't that what that motorsport has been doing this this whole time? Didn't, didn't we invent this pretty much? Yeah, I really don't get it, you know, and, like, uh, I'm a big round ball fan and I actually like the idea of VAR coming into football because I thought this will be good. It'll get rid of the howlers and that sort of stuff. And that was a really dumb idea because it is just ruined. It's ruined the sport. It's, it's terrible and it shouldn't be there at all. But in motorsport, we've been doing it forever. And it is about the little details. The problem with a game like football is when you slow something down 
to the you know nth degree. You could you'll always find something. There's a little clip of a boot or you know some there's a tiny bit of contact somewhere. But in motor racing, you need to slow it down to see that because it's happening so fast. We've never been in a situation where we have, well, certainly not in modern motorsport where you have, you know, the referee sitting on the corner making judgment calls as they happen in front of him. You know, you sit down and look at replay. So I don't really understand what a VAR is meant to achieve. Like surely that's what the stewards have always been doing. You know, the race director should be directing the race and the stewards are sitting there reviewing things. Uh, and going well, you know, we should do this or that or or whatever. What do you, what do you reckon? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was a, a catchy term. They knew the media would would sort of latch onto this, this VAR, yeah. and it sort of distracts from what I see as the mugging of Michael Massey in the background. But um, yeah, yeah, it's also kind of a lazy analogy for the points that you just you just made. Um, but the the challenge is, and it's the same in supercars there is so much footage and also data which like you can't get out of a footballer right but you can get out of race yeah. cars live so there's so much of that it's about collating it and patch- packaging it in a way that can be used quickly and efficiently by the officials yeah. who are in charge so clearly that mechanism should always be improved as time goes by um, and, yeah. and that's yeah a key a key thing to take out of what happened um, in Abu Dhabi. Um, so that's definitely, a, no matter what they call it, it's an important part of the solution. Let's move on to supercars testing. It's back underway at Winton today, Stefan, but don't really know what's happening because there's no timing. It was the same at QR last week. No live timing, no time sent out at the lunch break and at the end of the day or or anything. I asked Supercars about it last week. Apparently, it's because these are actually private joint track bookings made by the teams, and it's not a Supercars run test day like we had up until the start of 2020. Um, so that's why there's no live timing. But like, who cares who booked the track? Like, it's just a bad idea to not have timing available publicly, or at least to the media, because like testing is. It's meaningless, right? You can strap a set of greens on, go out while the track's cold in the morning and do the fastest time. But it's it's kind of still our pre-season cup. Like it's a pre-season marketing campaign and Supercars is just kind of not participating in it. It's like, you know, if the AFL decided not to keep score of the NAB Cup games or whatever the NAB Cup's called now because they don't really affect the AFL season, you can't read a lot of form into it, well, who cares? It's something to write about. It's building hype for the season. Formula One's actually doing the same thing with their first test. Um, it's going to be a complete blackout. Uh, but then they're coming to the party with the second test with TV and live times and all that. But like, on both counts, in supercars and Formula One, I don't, I just don't get the strategy. Do you know what they're trying to do here? No, I, I would think that it's just a matter of um, no one wants to pay to turn the live timing system on. So, yeah, they've sort of been presented as as two official preseason tests where all teams are meant to be. Obviously, Premier Racing uh, got a dispensation to uh, to run a bit later because they weren't ready. But um, yeah, it, it appears to be official preseason testing, but not having timing just makes it useless and it's uh, as as a publicity thing, and it's frustrating for us, but. But also the, the bigger issue is um, you can't really sell it to, to mainstream media. Like they, they yeah. need all the narratives they can get and unfortunately fresh liveries aren't going to get you in the newspaper. 
So, um, no, yeah, it's just a missed opportunity is, for sure. That, that's exactly right. Like, I don't know what running the live timing system costs, but surely it's worth it when you, if you can get a story into, yeah, a major daily newspaper, you know, saying so and so top test. Doesn't matter how indicative it is of the actual form or whatever. It's about getting the sport out there and saying, hey, the, the season's about to start. They're preseason testing. It's coming. Get ready. It's going to happen. And just kind of, I just don't know that Supercars is in a position in the sporting landscape to go, well, we can just be secretive about this. You know, we don't need to try and promote this. No, you really do. And they should be doing it. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the year that they probably did it the best uh, in terms of a preseason test was, was 2015 when they had all the cars at SMP and they had a shootout at the end of the day. Uh, which really yep. gave you a narrative and it'd be great if they had like that old MotoGP system of like a prize, you know, you win a car or whatever if you're fastest. Get a BMW. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, that year they did also make a clash with the Bathurst 12 hours, so it probably is not the uh, the high point of uh, Supercars history either. It was, a, it was a PR draw. It was like good on one hand and then maybe not so good it on was, the other It hand. was not my favourite day to be at Sydney Motorsport Park, put it that way. <laughs> I can imagine. Um well, either way, we wouldn't be seeing any times from the Gen 3 cars because uh, from Winton because they aren't there. Um, so the official line from Supercars is that the cars aren't running because they are still fitting them with the mechanical stick shift system that they are thankfully going to be using when they start racing in 2023. But, Stefan, my sources are telling me these ergonomic issues for taller drivers are still significant to say the least. Uh, and I'm sort of hearing that's playing as big, if not a far bigger role in these cars not being on track as how they're changing gears. What are you, what are you hearing? Yeah, they obviously need to sort that gearbox stuff now that the decision's finally been made, but clearly ergonomics is, is a bigger issue right now. They've been uh, fiddling around with this since the cars first hit the track and it's been a constant source of complaint from drivers, either barely fitting in the cars at all or or being very uncomfortable in them, especially uh, doing a bit of a run of consecutive laps. Um, so from what I understand, yeah, they're, they're biting the bullet and actually doing some refabrication work on, on the chassis, which I believe involves stripping the panels off and, and modifying some uh, some bars. So that's, that's major stuff if that's really what's going on. It is. Um, and they need to sort yep. that ASAP. As we covered off previously, I mean, it's just – it's very strange how that could happen um, with this control chassis uh, to be signed off with these issues uh, not coming to light. But uh, but there you go. Mm. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen clearly is is the tallest driver, and so um, he's uh, probably had the hardest time of it. But even the smaller drivers, like saying the angles are wrong with with waist, leg, ankles, all the ergonomic yeah. stuff. So it's it's really strange and. They're not going to run the cars at Winton, and I don't think they'll be at Sydney Motorsport Park for the for the season opener where they were meant to do uh, no. some, some running as well. So uh, if that's the case, that's uh, it's it's a little embarrassing to be honest. It is, it is, but as you say, it has to be sorted out because you can't have guys. You know, there's talk about you know guys getting dead legs and that sort of stuff driving the cars. You probably need to sort that out before you actually want to go and uh, race these things or do any meaningful testing at all. Uh, so it's been livery mania in supercars in recent days, Stefan. Um, just one livery after the other. No testing times, but plenty of liveries. 
Let's run through a few of them real quick, Stefan. The Walkinshaw and Ready United cars. What do you think of those? Oh, I think this is going to make great podcasting, talking about uh, talking about liveries. Uh, <laughs> well, just, did you like it or not? What do you like about it? What don't you like about uh, it? Well, I mean, it's all very subjective, but I can't look past the treatment around the headlights on those cars. Um, mm. they, it gives them very sort of Nissan Altima vibes, and I think you would know me well enough to know that's probably not a compliment. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. It's there's there's a lot going on with them. I will say that they're not terrible. They're not terrible. I've definitely uh, definitely seen worse. What about the Brad Jones racing cars? I think we've got we've got all of them now, haven't we? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, my two uh, personally, my two gripes about supercars is when they do funky stuff around the headlights, like they've done with the Walkinshaw cars that sort of disguises the look of the car. Which, considering all the effort that goes into manufacturer DNA and all that sort of stuff, That's uh, that ruins it. But the other thing, black wheels. And I know you're on the same page here. So when we mm-hmm. saw Andre's car roll out with the black wheels, it didn't matter if they, yeah. um, you know, they had uh, they had Castro Motorsport News podcast written down the doors. I still wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think uh, for me, the, the Bryce Forwards uh, Midi's car is probably the, the pick of the BJR cars. It is. I never thought I'd say that about a car with lightning on it, but uh, it looks pretty good. It looked particularly from the front. Actually, they should have. We'll get onto this later, but they should have probably teamed up with Alpine for their um, yes. for their season launch because the cars look almost identical. They could have really. That would have been like Alpine's launched two liveries. Imagine if they'd done three and one of them was a Holden Commodore. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought uh, Fernando Alonso had done well to get some middies backing, but then uh, I had a closer look. <laughs> Uh, what about Erebus Motorsport? The boost, the new boost racing powered by Erebus cars. Well, I don't want the reverse of uh, what we're doing now to happen and Peter Addison give any commentary about how if we're good at podcasting or not, so I'll be careful here. But for <laughs> me, they've fallen down the, the black wheel hole. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm gone straight away with the black wheels. Don't like it at all. Uh, it's all right. Pete's, uh, he's, he likes to sugarcoat things. He'll go <laughs> kind on us. Don't worry about that. Uh, Premier Racing. It's a shame that Subway deal is only two rounds because, like, otherwise they would have gone into their rookie season, that team, with two absolute baller sponsors. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they have on that uh, car for other rounds during the year. But to, to launch a new team with a Subway car and a Coca-Cola car, but also in the manner they did it there at Seabus Stadium on the Gold Coast, yeah. very impressive, a great rollout. Um, especially yep. when they've been under under the pump time-wise to get things done. If any team had an excuse for running blank cars in testing or whatever else, um, it would have been them. But they uh, they got it sorted out and they're running this Wednesday at uh, Queensland Raceway. Yep. So, yeah, a good start to at least see the presentation has been lifted greatly there and uh, yeah. we'll see what they can do on track. It looks like a real race team and it's very different to the way that kind of the whole Team Sydney thing sort of rolled out at the start of 2020, no doubt about that. Uh, Tickford, uh, there's kind of not much going on there that's radically different. We knew about the Castrol car from last year that Thomas Randall will drive. Uh, Cam Waters' car is pretty much the same. James Courtney's car is running around with uh, only team partner stickers on it at Winton today. But we do have the Trady car, which is a new one. What did you uh, make of that? Yeah, it's obviously very plain, but it's very on brand. Um, and I think, 
Kiam, like they did a little video and stuff. And Jake Kostecki seems a good fit for that tradey tradey brand too. So that's probably all come yep. together pretty nicely. But yeah, clearly the the Castrol car is a Castrol Motorsport News podcast favourite. You can't go past that. You can't beat Castrol cars are always great. That's not even I'd say that on any podcast sponsored by anyone. I wouldn't care. They just they just they look great. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind the tradie car. I'm a bit of a sucker for yellow on race cars as well, but so um, so it's kind of fits in with me. And there, we've seen one Team 18 car, Scott Pye. Uh, we don't know what he will be running because uh, we don't know what the major backer is going to be now that DeWalt won't be the major backer of that car. But we have seen Mark Winterbottom's Irwin racing car. Jeez, I don't know about that white bonnet, Stefan. I don't know about it. Yeah, I... I- don't think uh, the livery designer would have enjoyed that brief from sponsorship uh, that he had to make it white. It's, uh, yeah, when they give you white, blue, and green, you're going to produce a Benetton, which is also not a compliment. <laughs> there were some good Benettons. The, 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 like the 92 car was a bloody beauty. Yeah, true. Um, all right. Now, the good old bar swinging days are back, Stefan, and that's not as seedy <laughs> as it sounds. I'm talking about the in-car anti-roll bar adjusters that – will survive the transition to the Gen 3 cars. What it means is that the drivers will have the full complement of in-car adjustment uh, at their disposal. There will be brake bias, gear shift, proper manual gear shift, and the bars. I'm just kind of torn on this one, Stefan. I wasn't as offended by the idea of getting rid of the bars as I clearly was with the gear stick. Um, I did sort of wonder if not being able to tune bars on the fly might force compromises and lead to some in-race overtaking as guys' cars either come on or go off with fuel loads and tyres and all that sort of stuff. In saying that, we've seen these park Fermi attempts to compromise setup and strategy. Yeah, they've been tried and never really worked in the past. Where where do you sit on it all? I think it's definitely great that uh, they will be in the Gen 3 cars, these adjustable roll bars, because I think it's just a cool part of the sport. There's there's more to driving these cars than just twirling the wheel and and pushing the pedals. I mean, it's not as emotive a topic as the gear shift, but it's all part yeah. of it. Like seeing Shane Van Gisbergen or any of those top guys in full flight, um, I, for me, is the best onboard motorsport vision in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's thankfully won out again. Like I can see why originally they, they wanted to take it away. Yeah. Um, like you were sort of saying, like when you've got a clean sheet, which Gen 3 was, and – you're trying to simplify as many elements of the car as you can um, to keep cost out. It's um, you can see why there was a push on to drop it, but I think um, yeah. yeah, I think yeah, at least one of the team owners eventually sort of went, well, can we at least have a can we at least have a rear bar adjustable because the fuel cell is actually a bit taller in these uh, Gen three cars than in Gen two. It's just a different shape, and I think um, it's even more need to ha- be able to tune the balance with a rear bar adjuster than the Gen 2 cars. So they were going to yeah. um, put an electric uh, system in for a rear bar and keep mm-hmm. front fixed, and now they've gone all the way of having having levers for front or and rear. I'm not exactly sure if they've settled on mechanical or hydraulic activation, but either way, it's going to be levers and it should be spec, I, I think, so it'll simplify it a little bit from, from what it's been. Yeah. I do. Th- I do fall, eventually fall on the side of agreeing with you there that it's it is actually a good thing because, like I say, those kind of those comp- they're trying to force guys to compromise doesn't really work. No one goes aggressively one way or the other. They just all fall in the middle somewhere. So I think being able to tune on the fly is still 
going to be the uh, best way forward. Now, one livery that we sort of uh, forgot to touch on before was the um, Blanchard Racing Team car, always a pretty handsome car, the old cool drive cars. Um, interesting as part of the launch, they announced that they will be moving from Tickford Motors to Herod Motors. Um, so a Herod Motor and a Tickford car for Timmy Slade. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think this, um, if anything, it went a little bit under the radar that um, that Herod stuff, obviously uh, Robbie Herod's business has taken over the, the Mostec um, engine company that um, has been powering DJR for, for some years. Um, all motors in supercars are pretty close because of the cumulative horsepower cap system that's been in place uh, for some time. But from what I'm told, the Mostec engine's at the top and the Tickford one is is sort of towards the bottom of the pile. So I think having this um, Tickford Tickford car with a uh, with a Herod engine in it is a really good combination. Um, yeah, and, and second year for Slady with this with this new team. Yes, it's still a single car team, and they've got some issues to sort there with uh, having to. To staff it fully and uh, having their yeah. own pit boom, which they didn't want, but they've got some clever people in there tuning that car. It's a good package. Slade is a very good driver. I think, I think he'll push Cam Waters harder than any of the other Tickford guys will. That is a uh, that's a pretty good prediction. So uh, you know, in the in the Mostec days, you know, which Herod has the Herod thing has sort of been born out of that. There was no scope for customer teams beyond DJR, was there? It was always that that was kind of an exclusive supplier deal, wasn't it? Yes, I believe so, especially in the DJR Team Penske era. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah like I'm assuming that um, that Blanchard's team is going to get the same spec as DJR. Um, that's an important part of it. And some some suppliers over the years have, have not had one spec for all, but um, assuming that that is the case, um, I reckon that's a pretty nifty little technical package of the, the Tickford car and the – the Herod engine. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Austin Sindrick beat Bubba Wallace in a photo finish to win the 2022 running of the Daytona 500 after blocking his Penske teammate Ryan Blaney into the wall in what was a pretty thrilling run to the flag there. There's been another flurry of Formula One car launches right up to the Alpine A522, which was launched on Monday night. That will start the season pink, thanks to the new backing from BWT before turning a bit more blue after a couple of uh, races. Formula One testing starts at Barcelona on a Wednesday. In other F1 news, the requirement for drivers who qualify inside the top 10 to start on their Q2 rubber has been dropped and Michael Andretti has lodged an entry for a startup Formula One team for the 2024 season. There's just the small matter of the $200, $200 million entry fee, as stipulated by the Concord Agreement. In MotoGP, Francesco Abagnaia has re-signed with Ducati until the end of the 2024 MotoGP season, and he's going to start this season as one of the title favourites. Now let's dip our hand into the Castro mailbag, Stefan, and see what we can come up with. This week we have a question from Simon Ripper, and he asks, would supercars ever consider sprint qualifying with a reverse championship order? You can have first crack at this one. What do you reckon? 
Yeah, this sounds like the system that was proposed for Formula One when they were talking about these little sprint qualifying races on Saturday to start that race in the reverse championship order and then Sunday's grid would be the result of the sprint. And I guess you think of it with regards to supercars, like supercars had a, has had a few cracks at reverse grids over the years. Like we saw those Canberra 400 races where they'd start race two as the reverse of race one in the early 2000s. And then in 06, I think they they had a similar thing going for a few events, but the teams pushed back pretty hard on it, largely due to the damage and the cost of all that. Um there's, we haven't heard anything that suggests it's on the table right now, but it is the sort of thing no. that with the team owners not owning the show anymore, it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's revisited at some point. You would hope that these guys at race that are coming in with fresh eyes would look at all of these things and uh, and go, is this something that, that we want to introduce? Personally, I'd be all for it, something to mix it up. Yeah, look, I've, I've said many times in the past that qualifying is the fundamental flaw in, in motorsport and I'm always open to creative ways to set a grid that's not just a reverse grid that's that's open to sandbagging and causes all sorts of, of other issues. So I guess a reverse championship order, it's it's not a bad way to do it because it's much harder to sandbag, you know, where you're sitting in the championship to try and get a more favourable grid position for the next sprint race or whatever. So, yeah, look, I, I, I'm always interested in ideas that, sort of help set a grid that makes some sort of competitive sense but that doesn't just put the fastest car at the front and the slowest car at the back and then, you know, we all sit there and go, well, there was no overtaking. Well, maybe because of that, the, the order they lined up in. Um, so, yeah, always interested to hear what better ways there could be to go about it. I don't know if we've ever stumbled across the perfect system but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. All right, time for our Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, I'm going to go first this week because uh, mine is very self-serving, um, not just for me but for, for you and for all the other members of the motorsport media. And it's just I just want to give everyone a shout-out for surviving livery season because it's the worst. It's just the worst, and they just come pumping out and you lose whole days trying to, like, trying to keep track of the rotation of classic livery phrasing, you know, covers come off unveiled fresh look oh it just it's it's exhausting yesterday was a monday was a was an exhausting day and one team which i'll be kind i won't name them sent out a livery release at 11 30 p.m for a 5 30 a.m embargo that sums livery season up that's that's what we're dealing with so well done journos we got there again we get to do it all again next I feel week. like there'd be a lot of listeners who uh, are out there doing real jobs in the workforce <laughs> probably didn't have a lot of empathy for you having to click open on an email and see some pretty pictures of some new supercars before anybody else gets to see them. Oh, Stefan, you know, you know what it's like. You know how hard it is. Don't give me that. Who's your star of the week? We do, uh, we do bag politicians occasionally on this podcast, but we've got to keep in mind that journalists are despised pretty much uh, at the same <laughs> level as uh, politicians and dodgy used car salesmen. Used car salesmen. Yeah, lawyers. We're all peas in a pod. Mm. So my Castrol star of the week this week is Austin, Austin Sindrick. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. did an amazing job there to win the Daytona 500 as a rookie. Um, but as Aussie media, we do love a local angle on something, so I'm going to credit that great performance with uh, his laps at Queensland Raceway and a couple of supercars over the years. Um, you'd remember back to 2014, he did a few laps in a Matt Stone Super 2 car. 
And then he yep. came back two years later as an 18-year-old and tested with DJR Team Penske. Um, and yep. even back then, like he was, he was only a kid really, but he was very impressive in and out of the car, very polished, very professional, and just so enthusiastic about racing and, and driving everything that he could. You know, some will say that he's been given an easy road being uh, Tim Sindrick's son, obviously the president of Team Penske, but um, he clearly uh, has put the work in over the years as well. And uh, he won that Daytona 500 on merit, and I thought it was a cool result. There you go. Anyway, that is it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And seriously, give us some reviews. We... um. We love some feedback, uh, unless it's bad, but if it's good, we, we want to hear it, so get into it. We'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.